Welcome to Monstrology, episode 32. Um, my name is Will King. I am one of the hosts. I'm joined, as always, by Imagine McCabe, host hello, hello. number two or number one. I don't know. It's uh, The numbers could be interchangeable. Sure. Um, but there are two of us. Um, yeah, I'm excited for this one, Madrin. It's uh, oddly wholesome, considering part of the name of this monster, uh, I think, some of the research. Um, and uh, But that's kind of a theme sometimes when we do our monsters, right? Yeah, it's like, oddly oh, on wholesome. The surface, on the surface, this sounds really scary. And then we get into it, and especially we interview them, and it's like, oh, well, actually, actually really quite endearing. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> um. Madrin, I got your hard-hitting question. Ready All to right, go. Hit me up. Do you have a favorite type of dog? Oh, that's an excellent question. Because Thank as you. you know, I'm actually really a cat person. Irrelevant. <laughs> no, and that's not to say that I don't like dogs. I quite appreciate of course. dogs. I just I don't think that I like I would never most likely never have a dog myself mm-hmm. just because. Um I really like corgis okay with their tiny stumpy legs i Uh think they're so funny and so cute and then of course i've watched all of brooklyn 99 so cheddar the corgi on brooklyn 99 has really influenced my love there Mm -hmm. um i'm not sure if this is a breed that i really like or if i just really love this particular dog but my friends jeff and ashley have a havanese but she was that well she's supposed to be like a kind of mid-sized dog um Uh, like shorter curlier fur but she's the runt of the litter so i think she Mm. maxed out at like eight pounds oh that's not very big (laughs) no no so but for whatever reason she is enamored of me and i am enamored of her and we were both incredibly excited to see each other whenever i go to jeff and ashley's house um so yes she is my hands down favorite dog her name is chewy of course Mm. her name is chewbacca um so she is particularly my hands down favorite dog of all time. Mm-hmm. So perhaps I don't know. Maybe I like Havanese dogs. This she's the only one I know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Maybe that's maybe that's your your yes. favorite type. Maybe. Uh, Do you have a favorite kind of dog? I know you have a dog. So maybe I have a dog. And uh, yeah, I mean, I love my dog. He's a Jindo, a Korean Jindo from the Isle of Jindo, um, which I think they're in the Spitz family, like similar to a Shiba Inu. If people aren't familiar with with uh, Jindos, they're a little bit uh, slimmer. Um, he's about the size of like a fox or like a very small, uh, sometimes people think he looks like a little bit like a wolf, but I think everyone always thinks he's a puppy because he's he looks like a big dog if a big dog was a medium-sized dog. Um, yes. Just his features. Yes, you're right. He looks his like he's going to look like grow he's, up. He's going to, to be a big like siberian husky or something yes like he that. looks like he's going to grow up to be a bigger dog despite yeah. at this point him being he's, he's eight what, five? <laughs> eight oh eight. he's eight now he's oh, eight oh, okay. yeah um yeah um yeah but i i honestly i think my favorite dog has always been a husky i love huskies oh i like um, huskies too i think yeah. they're very sweet uh, there's like gorgeous gorgeous animals yes um they're just, you know, it's it is in no way practical for me to own a husky at this stage of my life. They're a lot of of work and and uh, they have a lot of energy. And, um, you know, I live in the city, so maybe uh, in my advanced age, I'll enjoy uh, owning a husky. Uh, but in the meantime, I love my puppy sized uh, husky and my uh, Jindo dog uh, Banksy. 
Um, so that's uh, both. That's my favorite dog and my favorite type of dog. <laughs> my favorite dog is my own, and my favorite type is husky. Oh, I guess um, I said that too. I said who my favorite dog is, and then also my one of my yeah. favorite breeds. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, today's uh monster uh, of choice, you know, I don't know if anyone, if they knew this dog, would describe it as their favorite dog that they knew, because probably context would uh decide that that's a bad idea. Uh, but I think they're pretty damn cool. Um, they are fearsome and tough and. Um, could uh, be an indication of something to come. Uh, time will tell. Quite, quite loyal. Quite, quite loyal. Yes. Um, you know, you are probably more likely to see these if you go uh, down south. And by down south, I actually mean towards the center of the earth. Because <laughs> today's monster is hellhounds. think of um when you hear hellhound madrin what's your initial thought of what that's gonna look like i think very large black maybe kind of misty or smoky like it doesn't have defined edges uh glowing red eyes mm -hmm. uh relentless pursuit mm-hmm yeah totally. perhaps perhaps um more than average strength mm -hmm. for a dog cool yeah i'd say that's all kind of i don't know typical uh, hellhound uh, appearance and behavior um, oh and and other worldly or other other worldly howl yes the howl is key the howl is um seals yeah. that deal generally i would say hellhounds are a bit bigger than the average dog Certainly, it seems to be often black dogs, black fur, although I found some evidence of scales that it would be Ooh. scaly, um, which uh, I think we'll get into when we get into the mythology a little bit. Um, yeah, glowing red, sometimes yellow eyes, um, but prime, uh, primarily red, I would say. Super strength and speed, um, kind of ghostly or phantom characteristics. Um, sometimes that foul, earthy, hellish smell. Uh, oh, yes, smell. the uh, sulfury smell. Yes. Yeah. And uh, sometimes they even have the ability to speak, um, either, I think, telepathically, but often sometimes they can just have the language of, I guess, whatever nearby human has, which, uh, let's say, English. Um, there's a wide range of powers that I think I'm just going to jump right into the powers so we can really kind of nail down this contemporary understanding of a hellhound and what, what makes it distinct. Um, strength. Uh, I found some evidence that they uh, 
have either an immunity to fire or an attachment to fire or that some can even breathe fire. Like if they were one of the signs, earth, water, air, fire, definitely fire, you know, that is their kind of primary energy. I also kind of get the impression and correct me if I'm wrong, perhaps barking fire yeah, like, sure. Like, yeah, I think yeah, breathing like fires, breathing I think, fire, but yeah. I like the idea that it comes out on a on a bark or a howl, little yeah. puffs of fire. Um, yeah. Um, they also induce fear, like that is a core part of, I think, a hellhound is it causes you to be afraid in an almost supernatural way. So even they are scarier than they might even appear physically. Um, well, I can only imagine what that extra level of fear would be, because if I saw a regular giant black red glowy eyed dog glomping mm-hmm. at me and then barking fire, I would be like, that. I mean, that sounds pretty scary. And then yeah. to add the extra element of adding to that fear, that's mm-hmm. got to be. It's not great. It's no. not good. <laughs> um, Some of them now, this kind of goes back and forth, but I would say for the most part, this is true that they have a resistance to holy things. Like the fact that they are hellish and satanic means that like, unlike um, most like other demons that hellhounds appear at, you know, church grounds and like religious sites. And they're not, uh, you know, not like, like other monsters that aren't allowed to go there or can't cross that threshold or whatever, like hellhounds exist in those spaces. there's a pretty infamous case of a hellhound which uh, attacked people in a holy trinity church and killed two people and collapsed the roof of the chapel and there's i think multiple uh, a case of a mul- of a hellhound attacking multiple churches is one day there's like a folkloric tale about that um in relation to chapels um that it just burst through in a lightning storm um they have enhanced senses. Uh, they're just better than the average dog, I guess, in that sense. Yeah, dogs uh, have pretty enhanced senses of smell oh, yeah. and taste. Hearing especially. And right? hearing too, yes, hearing absolutely. Hearing is exceptional. Um, uh, there's some invisibility. Sometimes hellhounds are able to disappear, reappear. I don't know if it's like, you know, superhero style of like, I'll use it to camouflage. I think it's more so that they are ghostly in the sense that they're like, oh where always... did that scary dog go oh yeah, no it's over there exactly Ugh. i don't know if it's oh, like okay. a thing that they do intentionally so much as they kind of appear and disappear as apparitions um some hellhounds are capable of surviving attacks from conventional weapons like guns uh or knives like that maybe sometimes that's ghostly maybe sometimes the the style of their skin they're very strong and kind of tanky and um yeah just super strength like their their claws and their bites are very powerful you would not want to deal with either one of those things um so hopefully that gives people a sense of just the things that these monsters can do that the average dog uh, cannot as I think sometimes the danger with a hellhound is people just imagine a big dog, you know, and, and there's a lot of things that I think set hellhounds apart um, from yes. just being a big dog. Although they are They're very, they seem very dog. extra. Like they seem yeah. like they have all of the stuff that a dog does, but way more Yeah, you know, heightened strength, heightened senses, uh-huh. ability to go invisible, you know, and sometimes I'm like, oh, where's the, where did that dog go? But mm-hmm. that seems now, like the extreme version of it. 
as I often do, and I don't know why this turns out to be the case, but there's three different types of hellhounds. Like there's three different types of all so many of these monsters. Come in I guess so, right? It's it's a it's a trope of all good storytelling, and I would expect our monsters to be no different. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the first category of hellhounds is hunters. Um, so these uh, are hellhounds that have escaped or have been released from hell. They basically just exist to hunt down things and kill them. Um, the, I think these are probably the classic monster hellhound that we imagine. Um, they're the black hounds with the red eyes. Um, and uh, yeah, they're just kind of typical monster uh, beasts, you know, of the wild that are released from hell. Um, the second is the guardian. So this is more um, mythical in the context of the way that they appear. Um, this version is just as dangerous as the hunter, uh, but it is usually tasked with uh, guarding a location or even a person. It could be a person's um, the, the, uh, protection that they're bonded to or a place. Um, if they're guarding a person, that person is usually associated with hell uh, or maybe even you know the owner of such a place um uh and uh you know the most famous hellhound in that case is cerberus and maybe we'll get into that in a little bit uh we can jump to that now if you like but um certainly cerberus is the most famous version of the guardian um, definitely when i think of hellhounds i think of cerberus yeah there's also the garmer garmir so the norse equivalent um so rather than um Hades and Cerberus it's uh Garmir is the Norse protector to the original Hell like Hela um and uh has like a connection to like seeing Garmir can kind of trigger Ragnarok there's like a it's a sign of a uh, potential problematic uh, thing which leads me into my final type of hellhound which is the portent so the sight of one of these black dogs is a portent of doom, that they are an indicator of something terrible that's going to happen. Um, they might be malevolent and dangerous, but sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes they're more like our banshee, you know, where they exist and you cross paths with them and you know that something is going to be um, bad. Um, they serve more simply as a warning not the cause of something terrible yeah and there's a folklore around the black dog in the uk so a lot of people see the black dog and there's variations of the black dog but they are quite fearsome they definitely fall in that category of of being you know terrifying to interact with but you know that something um bad is going to happen um and sometimes it, it's always one of these things right that sometimes they cause the problem but usually they're just an indicator that something bad is going to happen. Um, like if, you know, if your grandmother dies the next day after you see a black dog, it's unlikely that they were mauled by the black dog. It's just that the black dog was there because it knew that something bad was going to happen. And right. um, by extension, you know, something bad is going to happen. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of supernatural, spectral, demonic. Um, that black dog folklore is also seen in the Americas. Um, it's connected with the devil um, and an omen of death. 
and um, sometimes it's associated with electrical storms. So I was talking a little bit about that, that they're comfortable in, in churches and spaces. Um, but uh, yeah, even like execution and ancient pathways. And I don't know, it just seems to have some sort of like spiritual connection as well. Um, yeah. They're a symbol. This is less what they are, but maybe what they could be a symbol of. Um, of uh, transitional spaces like they 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 speak to a time of transition of like this or that but they also appear in those spaces like water uh, i saw some connections between hellhounds and water that there's kind of like the mm. threshold of seeing yourself um fog that they often appear in fog in fact i would say it's probably one of the most iconic appearances for them in graveyards again tied maybe to church houses but that they live in a kind of liminal space i think is quite interesting um yeah i guess there's one more thing that i think is really interesting maybe before we get into some specific iconic uh famous hellhounds which is that there's an interesting thing that happens with hellhounds where i think they started in this uh, quite mythic um, spiritual uh, space as like almost an Egyptian god, like dogs were depicted in a lot of um, Egyptian tombs, you know, as the person who prepared mm -hmm. someone for death. And, you know, they're obviously these attached to these Greek myths. And there is a period of time, especially in England, in the UK, where Christianity was on the rise. And so the image of the dog, some people say, was subverted and uh, morphed into what we imagine the black dog to be, so that people would look at that kind of very early, almost demonic um, uh, gods as a satanic thing. It, it was a way to morph the the image of these kind of more uh i don't know problematic problematic is the right word but like fearsome um just unchristian gods into something that is the antithesis of what they want so i thought that that kind of turn and um tweak of history and that may very much be the way that we've divided up the hellhounds in two categories like pre christian spin and post-christian spin like a little bit of you know that that era of of the uk has morphed um the way that we even uh, imagine hellhounds to be physically mm. um yeah so i think we'll kind of see both sides of this when we get into some specifics what do you think does that make sense to you madrin yeah yeah absolutely why well, you know <laughs> that's you know that's often a theme that we see where it's like oh christianity took an already existing cultural practice and spun it on its head for its own gain yeah shocking no way <laughs> and they didn't want you to do other things yeah, to think other things they manipulated um, your already long-held cultural beliefs what yeah yeah um well why don't we dig into some specifics um shall we start with uh cerberus perhaps the most famous of the hellhounds indeed indeed um well is there anything you'd like i feel like i've been talking about all these different types is there anything you want to kick us off with cerberus and so maybe i can you know, chime in with some 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 deets as well oh well i had actually anticipated that you would have a lot 
to say about Cerberus. Well, I do. So do you, I, shall I just like, go for it? <laughs> you know what? You go for it. And then I've got some other other famous hellhounds. I feel like I need to create too. some sort of um, transition music for Madrin's monsters around the world. <laughs> <laughs> we show like that is just like a subcategory yeah. uh, of our of our podcast. It's, yeah. oh, I like that though. Madrin's monsters around the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Cerberus uh, is multi-headed. So it's usually three, and I would have assumed always three, but I'm wrong. Uh, sometimes Cerberus appears in mythology with only two, or in fact, even one head. Who would have thought? Uh, yeah, actually, I remember reading about that as well, too. Is that, Yeah, in my mind, it's like, okay, Cerberus always has three, always has three. But in looking at it, the most or, or most often when he is depicted, it is with two heads. Uh-huh. And then, like you said, sometimes with one. And I was like, one? Then it's just a dog. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. A part of me wonders, like, is it just hard to draw three heads in profile? Like, maybe that's why there's two. Well, that, well it have to was... be kind of 3D to get the three heads in. I don't know. Well, you know, it's really hard to paint on the side of a under an urn. Or you know, not even to paint, to just... engrave, perhaps. You know, and to etch, yeah, etching, to etch you know? in the stone. Yeah. Well, and what um, I what I also had not known about Cerberus at all too is that oftentimes it was depicted as having many snakes coming out of its body and having yes. um, a snake for a tail and things like yes. that as well too. And again, too, what I found out when we were um, researching all of this is that I did not know this, but like Cerberus is the offspring of two snake mm-hmm. characters in, mm-hmm. in Greek mythology. It's like, oh, yeah, I, think I guess there's... I never really could, like. No, I I guess I never really sat around thinking like, oh, who is Subarus's mom and dad? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, yeah if, if you start following the family tree of monsters related to other gods, which are usually offspring, uh, kind of abandoned and uh, dejected offspring from gods, uh, it gets real weird real fast. It does get re- yeah, but unlike most Greek myths, Zeus didn't really have anything to do with this. No, so, that's true. It wasn't yeah, Zeus so related. I was reading this his, one um, wasn't his fault. <laughs> this one was not Zeus's fault for the first time ever. Uh, but yes, Cerberus was the offspring of the monsters Echidna and Typhon, and they were both half snake, half human monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, which is yeah. where, and then yeah, when I was looking, there are all these different depictions of Cerberus. Like I'm looking at one right now where it just looks like a black dog, but with like eight snakes coming out of its head. Mm-hmm. So I think that what you're seeing there is that um, with Cerberus, and I think this gets lost sometimes in the black dog version of it, but if we're looking at um, hellhounds mythologically, they have a mane of snakes. So around their neck, they have, uh, I don't know, let's say 10 to 12 snakes kind of spouting out from there. And that might be the ones that are that you're seeing. Um, it's funny, I found even a version where they had up to 100 heads, and there's some oh. where they have multiple bodies. Like, it gets weird and kind of the monstery, too many or too little things that make you feel kind of icky. Um, I, I also found that his three heads are sometimes connected to various triple concepts. Great, great things come in threes today. Um, so sometimes <laughs> the, the three heads are past, present, and future. Uh, I found another one that said it was birth, youth, and age, which I thought was interesting as well. Um, so there's just a couple different uh, triptychs uh, for those heads, I suppose. Um, 
in Seneca's Cerberus, there's a cool uh, distinction where the three heads are covered in gore, like they're gory and gross, which I thought was awesome. And uh, that um, they're licked by the snakes that surround them. So not just do you have a mane of snakes, they're constantly cleaning the gore off the face of the hellhounds, um, which is a cool kind of like dog grooming themselves type of thing. It's like snakes licking the blood off its face after getting all hellhoundy early in the day. Um, yeah. And they're supposed to have incredible hearing so that they can hear even ghosts so that their hearing is not just dogly, but supernatural. Um, uh, which I think is very cool. Uh, Cerberus's biggest kind of claim to mythological fame is probably related to uh, Hercules or Heracles, depending on uh, whichever, I don't know, website you're reading. They are, in fact, the same person, the flip sides of a coin. Um, in, in his 12th uh, labor of Hercules, he was tasked with basically uh, going to the underworlds, getting uh, Cerberus and bringing him back. And when he got there, um, basically, Hades is like, yeah, you can take him, but you're not allowed to use any weapons. So, like, if you can do that without using, a, I don't know, whatever, fine, go for it. And Hercules um, basically uh, just squeezed him using his might into, and subdued him and was so strong that he couldn't bite him or attack him because he just had such an incredible uh, strength. <laughs> um, which, you know, honestly is not a uncivilized way to deal with a hellhound, just to hold them until they calm down <laughs> and carry them somewhere. Uh, which I mean, you nice. kind of end up having to do that with actual dogs sometimes, right? Like, yeah, just, exactly. Like, they just get so overexcited and you're just like, okay, boy, Let we're just, just going to sit here still. quietly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I thought that was kind of sweet in a way. Um, but if if you ever run into uh, Cerberus uh, walking down the street, uh, number one, run away. But if that doesn't work out, um, he also will apparently sleep if played music. So I hope you're a musician oh. and you have a, a jaunty tune <laughs> ready to go. Uh, because uh, if you play like the harp or the flute or anything kind of sweet and melodic uh, can put Cerberus to sleep, which would give you ample time to sneak away to safety. Uh, so that's probably the main weakness that I would say that Cerberus specifically has is music, which is, ain't that just uh, a fun little quirk? See, and there's that fun, adorable aspect to our monster. Uh-huh. Yeah, so always... much gore on its face that it has to be licked off by its mane of snakes. But also, oh, it's gonna fall asleep to music. But also, it likes a little lullaby. Yeah, Aww. yeah. Um. All right, Matron. Let's uh let's hear about some similar monsters around the world. Yeah. Uh. Well, there is uh Anubis. Okay. Who is the? Uh, I always thought that Anubis was the what was wrong Egyptian. With the old bus. <laughs> but um thank you uh, yeah uh yes i always thought anubis was the egyptian name for this god but this is actually the ancient greek name for what is but but is an egyptian god but was originally referred to as anpu in okay. egyptian but now it is known as anubis um and like many egyptian gods is the god of several different things and actually seemed to 
originally had been um the god of the underworld but mm. then was replaced uh, apparently between 2055 to 1650 bc of course mm -hmm. like you know historians they just look at bits of clay to try to determine <laughs> these things but apparently but yeah. was eventually replaced by osiris as the lord of the underworld okay um but had several different roles so uh anubis has the body of a man and the head of a dog mm -hmm. and has several different roles so he's the god of embalming he becomes uh, associated with mum mummification uh and in so I guess, the myth yeah of... that's the one that i was thinking of in the context of like uh taking people to their death like mummifying well that's so yes it's all kind of related right so he's the god of embalming so in the in the osiris myth anubis helps isis to embalm osiris uh he's also the protector of tombs which okay. is a theme that we will uh, see quite a bit you know protects graves and cemeteries there are lots of um epitaphs that have his name on them things of that nature guider of souls i think is the biggest one is uh anubis guides individuals across the threshold from the world of the living to the world of the dead um and again too like we see him do that guiding people to osiris who is now the mm. god of the underworld uh and then also too the wearer of hearts that, you know, we we sometimes see the scene of like, well, a person's um, heart uh -huh. is weighed against oh, their worth, right? Nice. Or the, whether or not you, um, essentially, it's like, does they does your heart this... balance out against all of the your deeds, right? They uh, did whether this or not you can... on um... yeah. Ah, which Marvel show was it? I want to say Loki, but it's not. They weighed out uh, the Egyptian scales oh, for, moon, for Moon Knight. It would have been Moon Knight, yeah. They did it on like, the he, ship in this an... kind of land in Moonlight. Yeah, exactly. And, I'm sorry, exactly. Moon Knight. <laughs> moon Knight, yes, yeah. Well, because, and that, that was the thing, right? It's like Moon Knight is um, possessed by an Egyptian god. That's actually mm -hmm. how he gets his powers, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, so Yeah, cool. Yeah, I liked that one. Um, I was also it, quite interested in... There's just kind of this general myth of the church grim mm -hmm. in English and Nordic folklore. And at first I was like, oh, this sounds so nice. It's a, you often a big black dog that protects churchyards. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the, the congregates who go to that church, the uh, clergy, you know, priests, nuns, pastors like whatever kind of church it happens to be they're all you know they're very protective of of the church in that area and the people of it however i was reading and so the whole point of this is that this large black dog with red eyes so you know very classic hellhoundy looking thing would protect the churchyards from regular ordinary like thieves and vandals but then also against witches and even the devil himself so very mm. high important job for these uh, church grims mm -hmm. but what i was reading is that most of the time the way that they came th the churches would come to get their grim was that it was a custom to bury a dog alive Aww. under the cornerstone of a church so that it was part of the foundation of the church uh. so that the ghost would then serve as the guardian of the churchyard uh-huh 
and there that's are all very these different... cool but very depressing but, like that's so sad yeah right yeah. and there are all these different stories of it as well too is that um there's the story of the the devil's bridge in uh yorkshire mm -hmm. so the people were trying to build a bridge that would be able to withstand the flooding of the river and none of them were successful and the mm. devil promised that he would build them one that would withstand these floods. We'll never take a promise from the devil. You know? Well, here's, the, but that's the thing is like, so he did it. He promised them this uh, very substantial bridge on the promise that the first living creature that crossed it would be his sacrifice. Mm. So the bridge gets finished. And of course, now the people are like, uh, who should we send over the bridge? Who should be the first victim? And there was a shepherd mm. who owned a dog named Grim so he swam across the river to go to the other side of the bridge and then whistled and called for his dog uh, to cross over it so that they could sacrifice the dog so mean so i i wish that the shepherd died instead right that that, that grim deserved better i agree mm -hmm. i agree poor dog he was just you know he was trying to just protect sheep that's mm -hmm. all he wanted did you uh, hear about Fenrir? Do you know about Fenrir? Is that one of I your... did a bit, but I couldn't really figure out what Fenrir's deal was. Like Fenrir is he's a Norse, the son of uh, Loki, Loki, a child and... of Loki in Angbora, I believe. Yeah. And um, essentially, Fenrir is a monstrous wolf, so more of a wolf than a dog or a hound. Uh, but a wolf so large that its upper jaw touches the sky while its lower touches the earth when he gapes. So it's, I guess, when he howls or whatever, he can just, it's it's such a wide uh, jaw that it touches everything that you could see. Um, and basically he's destined to kill Odin. And, by, and then later in Norse mythology, he's killed, destined to also be killed by Odin's son um right. but it it is a monstrous piece of that mythology that this wolf um is both a portent of uh Odin's doom basically but also that he is actually in this case unlike my earlier uh, description of a hellhound the person to do the deed as well uh, so a pretty fearsome and powerful figure right and um, he's often depicted as accompanying hell yeah like the the god hell yeah which also can be like spurned to ragnarok as well right all that good old ragnarok business eh it, Norse, i mean well uh... when it comes down to north mythology a lot of stuff has to do with ragnarok uh-huh uh-huh yeah. yeah uh and then of course i found i always find it interesting to look into all of the different versions from around the world and in uh japan there is a kind of yokai named the okuri inu cool uh which is, it's often depicted, like you said, you know, or kind of with Fenrir, often depicted as a wolf and not a dog. But, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of overlap in there as well, too. They will closely follow people who are walking mountain paths at nighttime. Mm. And if by chance the person falls over, the Okir Inu will immediately eat them. Mm. But if you just pretend to be having a short rest, you won't be attacked. Oh. But it's also important to not look too tired. Because then they'll think that like, oh, you're dying. I should just eat you anyway. This feels like something that a parent tells a child when they're like, want them to hurry up on the walk. Like you keep going and don't you I, decide to I go take imagine, a nap. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds 
plausible as well too but then i was also reading a lot of different versions of the okiri inu of that um protector role as mm -hmm. well too like there was one story of a woman who was pregnant left her house to go visit her parents because mm -hmm. she was going to go give birth to her baby at her parents house but when she was on the way there she went into labor on the mountain path and gave birth right then and there mm -hmm. so then night falls and of course she's there having just given birth and with this tiny newborn baby there were many okuri inu who gathered around and she was really terrified but instead of attacking them they protected the mother and child from the actual wolves mm. that were in the mountain pass. Cool. And so the next morning she managed to uh, go home and she was reunited with her husband and they fed the Okuri Inu red rice, which mm. was usually reserved for very special occasions. Mm -hmm. So it seems, and then there are, and there are lots of examples of even um, if you're walking through a mountain pass and you make it to the end of the trail, even if you just turn and say, you know, thank you for escorting me, goodbye, maybe you leave a little gift, maybe you leave a little treat. There are lots of different versions of that story. Mm -hmm. So it seems like if you acknowledge the Okuri Inu and that they have safely guided you through the mountain pass, then they will just continue to safely do that. It's only if you try to ignore them or if you try to fight back or if you just seem too weak and helpless mm -hmm. then they're going to attack you and eat you mm -hmm. yeah so you don't want to be weak and helpless but if you seem like a competent person they'll help you out you know well and then even if you seem grateful as well too you mm. know like like there was that woman with her newborn baby clearly yeah, right. they were quite helpless right but she was quite thankful Right. Her husband gave, you know, the very special red rice. Mm -hmm. yeah, Everything seems, was fine. That seems fair, you know? It's fine. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, that's all the bullets that I have in the chamber of uh, different uh, hellhounds around the world. Imagine anything else you'd like to share before we take a little break? Well, I was reading <laughs> about a kind of vampiric hellhound dog oh, which i thought was kind of cool yes um in catalan myth it's uh called a dip okay it's an evil black hellhound and kind of an emissary of the devil mm -hmm. and they suck people's bloods mm. uh, sounds kind of chupacabra -y. a little bit a little bit yeah lame in one leg um but essentially like the legend is that the dogs would suck out the blood of cattle mm-hmm of course you know if you go out bouncing around at night they're going to get you too because oftentimes it was um basically like the drunken people of the oh. village who would go out you know staying out until all hours of the night in the village taverns uh -huh. they would often be attacked by the dip uh, uh -huh. and so it was said that this was perhaps a story told to just keep the drunkards home <laughs> and keep them from wandering you're gonna out get to dipped tavern. okay yeah I, I you're hope, gonna get the dip you know? yeah you're gonna get the dip um yeah well that's good i'm glad that you shared that because now now we also have a catchphrase for when someone gets attacked by <laughs> you're gonna get the dip um well we're gonna take a quick break and uh when we get back i hope none of you have uh gotten the dip don't right, get the dip. don't go stumbling out into taverns in the middle of the night. And you don't do fine. it. If if you're listening to this at two in the morning and you're a little tipsy, don't go outside. Stay don't inside for out. a little bit.
so why don't we just jump into i think the most famous interpretation of a hellhound uh that i could find in literature and film which is the hounds of baskerville um Indeed. which is the sherlock holmes uh, story um in kind of in deciding how I was going to tackle this, I decided to rewatch uh, Sherlock, which is a show that I deeply loved, especially when it was in its prime. That that relationship between those two actors is extraordinary and will always be. Um, even yeah, if I all that the was yeah, that good. was a fantastic series. But I, and I now you have simply reminded me right in this moment that I never actually finished that series. Oh really? Yeah. There's some. I think there's four seasons. In the end, it gets a little like bbc government agent because i think what was happening is they were both becoming such massive hollywood stars that there was a pressure to make the show a little bit more glossy and high budget and action driven and it was never i think what appealed to me about sherlock in the first place although i will say that in this particular episode that i watched um which is season two episode two um the hellhound that they use the cg is not great (laughs) (laughs) you can tell that there wasn't an enormous budget for it and it's a tricky thing to do because i think the uh interest of this can you hear those sirens in the background or is that just me no i can hear them Okay. Well, anyway, welcome to my life, people of the world. Um, well, we, we record the podcast in Toronto. Oh, okay. It's true. It's true. Um, no, I mean, no, wait. Anyway, the, the thing that, that works well for the episode is that um, it's the fear of the hellhound that propels it. it. It's the not seeing it, the wondering what it's doing there, not understanding how it can exist. And so at a certain point, there's a... Uh, you know, Sherlock being himself is very practical and pragmatic and doesn't think that he is going to go there to see a hellhound. He even takes the case just because he thinks he's going to be able to find a rabbit that glows in the dark, uh, which, um, you know, he may or may not find eventually. Uh, but there's some sort of government testing. So he goes, he takes this other case in Baskerville to to kind of get to the heart of uh, the Bluebell conspiracy, uh, the rabbit. Uh, but he, at a certain point, um, I don't think this spoils it, does see the hellhound. We don't see it, but we know that he's seen it and suddenly has to question his own eyes, his own understanding of, of the world, like that is a whole belief system. And uh, there's a scene where he's, he's holding uh, a glass of whiskey and shaking. And um, basically they're saying like, he's afraid. And the thing that he's afraid of isn't the hellhound, it's doubt. It's the first time in his life where he's had to doubt his own eyes. And anyway, that's the type of thing that I love about that show. It's, it can be character-driven, and um, that's the thing that appeals to me. And in this case, I think they do a really good job with kind of the black dog mythology, that it's it's a sign of doom. It's got that classic fog trope. It does appear with those red eyes uh, in the woods um, around kind of a small town, almost Loch Ness Monster style. And, you know, you start seeing pieces of it but it doesn't quite add up so there is a dog and there was something or they're seeing it and it's appearing in different places appearing and disappearing and i won't spoil the ending but um yeah i think that's great you, there's also the original film um which would be like the more classic telling uh, but if you haven't seen sherlock i recommend uh, sherlock and you can work your way up to uh season two episode two um, yeah what was nice about the sherlock series is that it took these rather 
old fashioned stories and mm -hmm. modernize them enough that they could still like, uh, you know, us with all of our modern technology and mm -hmm. there, uh, you know, like my husband so and playful. I talk about this all it the time. It was a very is... like well state, yeah. even down to, uh, this is nothing to do with hellhounds, but like, I remember it being one of the first shows where you see people texting on screen, like rather than showing you their phone, it would just show you texting and it would superimpose right, a lot yeah. of things. The, the way that they well, edited and dealt with technology yeah, I think and that's... was uh, kind of clever and, and cutting edge for its influence on TV. Well, and that's what I was going to say is that like a lot of the television and movies that my husband and I loved when we were growing up, the so many issues that were crucial to the plot could have been solved now because everybody has a cell phone in their pocket and they can mm -hmm. call or text each other to warn each other or they could do a very easy and simple internet search and come up with the answer for that thing right so um Sherlock had a way of incorporating those things instead of mm -hmm. just trying to ignore the simplicity of it yes mm -hmm. there's a, there's a, the fun of the challenge of it I think for them that they're always looking for a way of like what does this adaptation unlock in the original stories? And I'm guessing maybe there's some uh, cases that that modernized better than others. Um, but yeah, I love that kind of adaptation. Um, the other uh, film that I watched in preparation for this, and I got to say, this director always nails the assignment of if there's a monster uh, that's related to this uh, podcast, they really show me the monster. They don't do that thing where it's a movie where it appears for five seconds or it's not even there at all or it's just a loose metaphor. And uh, I am referring to Guillermo del Toro and the Hellboy film because yes. my God, uh, there is a lot of hellhounds in this movie, more and more as the movie goes on. And they are very cool <laughs> in design. Um, he always has a bit of his own spin on it. So in this case, in the first Hellboy uh, film, and I'm referring to the Guillermo del Toro ones, not the, the very newest first one, one, which Netflix Ron. almost tricked me into watching. And I got 30 don't, seconds into and I was like, nope. Yeah, <laughs> um, which is no criticism of David Harbour, who I love, but I am not interested in that movie. Um, anyway, there's Samuel, who is a hellhound and uh, whose essence was preserved and sealed within salt um, and then uh, gathered from the tears of a thousand angels. Very cool and specific. Uh, and the, the salt was placed inside a container hidden inside a statue of Saint Dionysus uh, and then essentially released um, throughout the plot of the film. Um, there's these enormous hellhounds who have this kind of blue green skin they absolutely are like large dog style but almost a little bit more reptilian and they do have long um kind of uh, not quite snake hair kind of tentacly hair like but you totally see the influence of snakes um more so than you would in most other contemporary understandings of hellhounds in fact it really struck me that i was like oh yeah that's the mythological one like he's going off of i think an older um image of the hellhound rather than the kind of european one um they're fearsome and in this case they're also the hounds of resurrection so when you kill them they grow back double and they create this kind of seed of destruction which is um part of the plan of them kind of taking over um they do have a weakness in this case to fire which works well for hellboy who's fighting him 
uh, on a subway, and that actually happens more than once in this movie. Uh, fight with a hellhound on the subway, um, but the, there's a good uh, kill where basically he's fighting it, and Hellboy grabs the third rail, which electrocutes him, but it doesn't kill him. Although it seems to make him a little jumpy, but it just fries the hellhound. Uh, and this is where we see that the hellhound uh, is capable of resurrection, essentially splitting. Um, themselves into multiple hounds um very hard to kill like even the bullets they put him down and it gets right back up so it, it resurrects in many different ways but i i really love the creature design there's multiple eyeballs which i hadn't seen before but it kind of works you know and in, in the gdt kind of way that's i was gonna say that's a very guillermo del toro uh thing to do it's just yeah. like, let's just put some eyeballs where no one expects <laughs> the thing eyeballs that to i be. that i love is is it it features the guillermo del toro giant extending tongue like the vampire yeah. tongue and for no reason like it doesn't seem to relate to anything else other than it's a cool way to fight you know it's got that extra danger of this giant tongue which is maybe a little bit serpentine i guess as well so it, it has a connection if we're looking for it but it also just features that kind of signature uh giant tongue <laughs> um yeah but i, well, I some of my that. favorite hellhounds in movies come from the og ghostbusters that's right 1984 there's now the we've... terror dogs yeah go ahead uh, uh well yeah i know we've talked a little bit about them yeah, yeah. before i was thinking yeah. about this because we talked about them for gargoyles which also does tie into their lore as well because they in the film they're used kind of like gargoyles but they appear more as dogs so well, I, think I think they, that they tick both yeah boxes. i think like originally in because they they were birthed out of statues that were on dana's apartment so mm -hmm. i think originally originally they were probably grotesques uh, as, yeah. as we learn, there's a difference between uh -huh. a gargoyle and a grotesque. So they were probably grotesques, but then they morph into, once they are possessed, they morph into very dog-like creatures. Mm -hmm. um, and again, too, we see those blazing red eyes. They're really, really strong and powerful and oversized. So they have that very hellhound, classic hellhound look to them. There's something about, I noticed this in Hellboy as well, but I think it also applies uh, to the way that they move in Ghostbusters, where they're very one directional. Their, their balance isn't very good. They're very strong, oh, yeah. straight line runners that I feel like are always bumping into something. And you can kind of get away from them a little bit by, by zigzagging because they have so much strength in a single direction that I think that could be a little bit of a weakness for Hellhounds that I've seen in a couple interpretations of them for sure. And I think, too, what leans these into hellhoundy territory as well, too, is that overwhelming supernatural aspect of them as well. Like, they possess the bodies of um, Dana and Lewis mm -hmm. and completely change their personalities. Uh, and, you know, and they become so single-minded about being the gatekeeper and the key master and, mm -hmm. and things like that as well, too. And, and we even see... Um, like once Dana is possessed by uh, Zool, who oh, is Zool. Uh, who is the gatekeeper, uh, um, Peter Venkman, Bill Bill Murray comes over for a date, and of course she's possessed, and so like starts act, you know, she's acting very strangely, and he figures out that something's going wrong. So uh, when he tries to get away from her, and she starts like snarling and growling, just mm -hmm. like a dog as well too. So you know, lots of very hellhoundy dog like behaviors. Totally as well yeah um 
there is also a very like iconic interpretation of uh, Cerberus in Harry Potter in both uh, the book and the film. And there's a slight distinction in them, which I think is interesting. So in Harry Potter, uh, there's Fluffy, who's a gigantic, monstrous uh, male three-headed dog who is uh, one of uh, Rubius Hagrid's um, pets, basically, companions, uh, that um, basically its greatest weakness is that classic uh, falling asleep to the sound of music. That's how uh, Ron and Harry and Hermione are eventually able to get past um, the the uh, hellhound. But um, it's described in the books as um, they say, we they were looking straight into the eyes of a monstrous dog, a dog that filled that filled the whole space between ceiling and floor. It had three heads, three pairs of rolling mad eyes, three noses twitching and quivering in their direction, three drooling mouths, saliva hanging in slippery ropes from yellowish fangs. It was standing quite still, all six eyes on them, and Harry knew the only reason they weren't dead already was that their sudden appearance had taken it by surprise. Um, but they, yeah, and then there's more reference to their thunderous growls. I know you were talking about growls earlier, so it really ticks a lot of boxes, but I would say that this, um, is again in the kind of black dog territory, which is interesting because they're also like serious black is kind of referred to as, as Padfoot later on mm -hmm. and kind of, uh, it hits some of those black dog, uh, tropes as well, but this one is and more the, specific. the divination teacher, um, Trelawney mm. has a vision when when she grabs oh, yes. Harry's hand and she has a vision of a of black, black dog, dog. Yeah. and so that is the the portend of, mm. of evil you know bad things to come the mm. omen part of uh, a hellhound dog as well some of the distinction that I found here for trying to figure out which one I mean it really could be both but apparently in the book when um somebody asks Hagrid where where he got it he says I got it from a Greek chappie and then in the film, <laughs> he says Irish feller. So in my mind, it's actually the distinction of did you get it from Greek mythology or did you get it from like Irish UK black dog uh, territory, which yeah. I thought was an interesting little I don't know, decision, I guess, that maybe Chris Columbus had made about uh, what what uh, reference they were pulling from. Um, and maybe it does speak a little bit to, you know, we've got Guillermo del Toro's more mythological hellhounds. And then we have this that is feel, even though it is Cerberus from myth, it appears more like a dog, which would be more in, in kind of Irish tradition, which I thought was neat. Um, yeah, I think those are some great like film examples to jump into. I, uh, there's also hellhounds in The Lost Boys. Um, the vampires have a dog, I believe, that they refer to as a hellhound. I wanted to watch it, and I couldn't find it on any Canadian site at all. Boo so, <laughs> Boo Earns, Canada. Um, don't say that very often, but way to go. <laughs> um, we just don't have the licensing to all of this classic pop culture. Yeah. Yeah, Boo sometimes. Earns. I know. I try. Here, There's here's another the Hulu, Hulu show that I couldn't get. Well, I, yeah, here's the a... here's the tangent of the episode is that uh, through regular conversation I came to realize my husband has never seen the classic British comedy Are You Being Served? And oh. So I was like, oh, I've seen literally every episode. It's one of the best shows that's ever been made. We have uh -huh. to watch it. And then of course I went looking, and you have to have a subscription to a series called Brit Box, uh -huh. which you and can I only have a get lot through of Amazon so... Prime. 
After eventually, you got to draw a line, right? You, <laughs> you can draw only the have line. too many things. Draw the line. I know. Um, okay. Well, there's some other pop culture here, but uh, Madrin, do you have any other, let's say, film or television that you'd love to jump into before I kind of go off the oh, grid a little bit here? I definitely have television. I cannot believe we've gone this long into the new year without me talking about Buffy? Supernatural. <laughs> oh, Supernatural. I was like, we've Buffy, X-Files? What, which way are we oh, going Oh, I got an X-Files too, if you <laughs> yeah, want. Okay, but, sure. but Supernatural, actually, um, Hellhounds played a huge part in the plot of uh the first few seasons of supernatural really so, yeah huge um because in the the world of supernatural demons can make a deal with human beings and the contract lasts for 10 years but at the expiration of your contract demons will send their hellhounds after the person to collect their soul mm. and so it starts just, to, you know, with uh, a few days before the contract expires, they start to get this like really creepy feeling like they're being watched and they can hear the hellhounds howling. Mm. And it is when they come to get you, it is depicted as a really brutal way of dying. The hellhounds will often physically rip their victims to shreds to be able to get to their souls. Um, but what's very interesting is that only the people who are the hellhound's victim can see the hellhound. Mm -hmm. So there were often scenes in Supernatural where a person would be like screaming in absolute terror and being and just seemingly being wow. ripped to shreds by absolutely nothing. Invisibility. We talked about this. The power. Invisibility. <laughs> Invisibility. Yeah. yeah. And in the in the world of Supernatural, the myth, the mythology says that after God created the universe, he created all of these different creatures, including the hellhounds. Mm. And they were supposed to be so that God could have friendly companions. So like man has dog, mm -hmm. God has hellhounds, ah. but they turned out to be incredibly dangerous and vicious. So God cast them out. Mm -hmm. But of course, Lucifer got cast out at around the same time. And so he managed to save one of the hellhounds named Ramsey and Ramsey turned out to be pregnant. So she gave birth to a litter. And so from Lucifer's protection, the litter continued to spawn more and more pups until it repopulated the hellhounds population. Mm -hmm. And then ever since then, hellhounds serve the demons of hell and they are incredibly loyal to their demonic masters uh cool. even to the point where like some demons will send their hellhounds after other demons and they basically cannot be destroyed by each other like hmm. um in in the world of supernatural for the longest time uh crowley is the king of hell mm -hmm. and he has a an ultra powerful hellhound and mm -hmm. that's pretty much the only thing that will turn away the other hellhounds and even then, it only just kind of serves as this threat. We never actually see Crowley's hellhound really saying, fight it out with another one, you know? He's saying Crowley reminds me that I'm pretty sure in Good Omens, yes. the Antichrist boy has a hellhound named Dog. He gets gifted a hellhound, and then he simply names the dog dog yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was gonna that's fine. i was gonna tie that into the books part of our pop culture but mm -hmm. i suppose that counts as tv as well because they made that amazon series about it mm -hmm. but yes yes um but yeah um hellhounds played a huge part in the early first seasons of um 
of supernatural it was even like um demons and angels really cannot overpower a hellhound really the only people who could take one out is an archangel hmm. are there a lot of those in supernatural because that seems like there are that's good well that's good well actually no i mean there are only there are only five archangels uh in mythology and uh spoiler alert i'm gonna say spoiler alert because uh supernatural is on the air for 15 years it's been off the air for five at this point and these are early seasons, so we're talking, this is almost a 20-year spoiler at this point. Yeah. They end up killing off a lot of the archangels. <laughs> yeah. How are you going to deal with the hellhounds, you know? Oh, after a while, they really don't become a problem anymore, just like everything else in Supernatural. <laughs> after a while, the thing that was the scariest thing they could possibly conceive of in season three isn't even talked about anymore by yeah. like season eight. But also known <laughs> as know? after a while, the writers got bored of that content and they exactly. moved along. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There is also an episode of the X-Files as well featuring mm -hmm. hellhounds. But uh, what was interesting upon the rewatch is that again, in my mind, I was like, I remember it being like, oh, this is all about hellhounds. But um, you don't actually see it very much as a dog-like creature. For the most part, it is a shapeshifter who takes on the personas of children's entertainment characters. Like there's a character named Mr. Chuckleteeth, okay, who who is the the killer in a lot of these things, um, and I forget. There's another character who who ends up luring a little girl to her death. Um, uh, shoot, it'll come to me. Oh, but anyway, bad. <laughs> yes. um... so but so it turns out that this is a hellhound that is being controlled by someone who has a grimoire. Mm. Um. But yeah, for the most part, again, in my mind, it, like my 30 year old memory was like, oh, yeah, this is about hellhounds. Uh, and then I rewatched it. It was like, oh, no, wait, this is about their shape shifting abilities for the most part mm. and how they appear to other people. Um, well, I'm just going to switch things up a little bit and um, go into a piece of literature uh, that I think is probably oh. very useful for understanding uh, hellhounds, which is uh, The Hound by H.P. Lovecraft. Um, in this case, the hound is also not necessarily, which I think plays into the the version of Hellhound that I like, that is fearsome, but not like quite seen by the, I guess, the reader in this context. But um, basically, there's these grave diggers who uh, go to a churchyard and are digging up bodies looking for a treasure, and they hear a howling and they try to ignore it and not worry about it. Um, and inside the coffin, they find an amulet um, that is a, a curious and exotic design, uh, which had been worn around the sleeper's neck. Um, and it on on the amulet, um, there's a crouch a crouching winged hound, uh, or like a sphinx with a semi canine face that's exquisitely carved, and it's got a very small piece of green jade. Um, and the expression uh, on its face is. Uh, repellent and extreme and uh, is it savoring at once of death, bestiality and malevolence. So like not a great amulet, not a great no. image, but very hellhoundy. And um, so they uh, basically get attacked by there's the two robbers. There's the kind of narrator as they're often is in H.P. Lovecraft, somebody who encounters something and is then terrified. It. It's a very common uh, point of view for his writing. So the other grave digger gets killed and um 
suddenly this guy's like, oh man, I got to get rid of this thing. I got to take it back to the source. But then he gets robbed by thieves. And then all of those thieves get killed as well. And suddenly he doesn't have like the amulet anymore. And so it just ends with him living in terror of this thing that's been passing hands and dooming everybody that holds it. Um, but I, yeah, I really liked that kind of image, especially the, the image of the hellhound on the uh, amulet, I think really kind of gives me a, a sense of what a hellhound is in terms of it being very scary. Um, and that's a nice short story too, if anyone's looking for just like a quick hit, something to read, uh, something to put you in a good mood before you go to bed. <laughs> quick, terrifying dog tale. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm good for. Um, there's uh, quite a few uh video games as well so it's not the first time oh probably wait the last did we time. move away or are we not talking about books anymore i don't know i'm kind of going around i, I gotta play around. do you want to say another book before i get Let's into the play wait. uh well i just i wanted to i think we would be remiss if we did not mention the wargs of the lord of the rings world mm. oh uh, you know you what know. while we're while we're talking about lord of the rings i also wanted to sh- give a shout out to the dire dire wolves in game of thrones as i think uh-huh. In TV, we've often, I don't think they go into the lore of it really, that they're just in the TV show, you just think, oh, there's just really big wolves. But when I was looking it up, number one, their name is Dire Wolf, which sounds like a bad thing tied to a wolf. Um, uh, but apparently, they, um, the, the Stark family found basically a dead dire wolf that was pregnant with five children. And uh, they basically convinced their father to keep them because there was five Stark children and one like runt of the litter ghost that was supposed to be for John. But it, they said it must have been a sign because for them as children to discover the number of direwolves, they should be able to keep them. Um, and basically Ned agreed. And so you have these kids growing up with their <clears throat> bonded direwolf. But before that context of them being discovered, they are more mythological then I think the television show goes into the, the description of, of saying like they hadn't been seen in hundreds of years. Um, they're never seen uh, south of the north. Like they're they're it, it could be believed kind of like dragons or whatever that we haven't seen these things in so long. And that's why, you know, the image of them having a, a dire wolf as well as kind of a fearsome thing for the people who are not familiar with them but obviously the kids of the stark family are bonded with them so i thought it was kind of cool that the dire wolves because they look like big scary hellhound wolves um but that the kind of lore of the world holds up as well um yeah so it sounds like the wargs uh are almost like the antithesis of these um dire wolves because like I mean, in the J.R.R. J.R.R. Tolkien mm-hmm. Middle Earth world of Lord of the Rings, they're very large and evil kinds of wolves mm-hmm. that allow the orcs to ride them. It's kind of like a, it's almost like they have an agreement Hellish. with the orcs that they're yeah. allowed to ride them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it they, the wargs actually get to share in any of the, spoils of the battles that the orcs take them into and what was interesting they can speak in the hobbit oh yeah really? I i've forgotten that. about that i've huh. not actually read the book no i so, love so anything so i, I love the Lord hobbit the comes from the movies yeah. i've read the hobbit a couple times but not in the past couple of years I actually just got over the holidays my brother to give me the three lord of the rings books because i i can't remember 
if I've sat down and read the whole trilogy, I think I've read the first book in half of the second. I don't think I've read Return of the King. So I was like, I would like to go back and just kind of give the trilogy a proper read. And it's just a fun kind of investment for the year. <laughs> you know, I think in January, what's my New Year's resolution? It's like, oh, I'm going to read all of Lord of the Rings, perhaps. Um, we'll see. Now that I've said on the that's podcast, how, that's there's some accountability I involved. Made my way through uh, Dune. Mm. When I picked up Dune, I looked at it and I was like, this is bigger than a brick. How Dune? am I? You yeah, mean this? It's... This book that's right very... here, right beside me, that I am also planning to read? It's uh, very it's thick. It Very is thick. half yes. the size of my face. Yes. Um, but I got through it. I read all of it. Well done. Um, yeah. Oh, I guess one uh, other... This is a play rather than a book, but uh, Faust, mm -hmm. uh, the devil uh, Mephistopheles, first appears to Faust in the form of a black poodle, which follows him home throughout the field, which is also actually one of these things that I meant to bring up. A poodle is a very common version of the black dog, which you yes. see in the UK. And I would definitely have not thought fearsome, dangerous animal. Let's pick the poodle. But the well, poodle think... is is a common black dog uh, form. Well, I think because when you and I think of poodle, we think of the French poodle, which is mm -hmm. the very small, the tiny, poodle. yippy dog. But standard poodles are huge dogs. Sure. Uh, and they, uh, you know, very, because uh, um, when I was in high school, one of my teachers had a pair of standard poodles and she would bring them to school all the time mm -hmm. and uh, like big, powerful dogs, but very friendly mm -hmm. uh, and quiet. So mm -hmm. I think maybe that's where the, you know, if you saw a big black dog just sitting across the street, just sitting and staring at you, that would be quite ominous I yeah i mean why the poodle poodles... would blow it when it starts to prance around with its uh show dog prowess but if it just sat there it would be very scary again it's a standard poodle <laughs> it is not a french poodle yeah i'm just i'm thinking of like little like oh fifi fifi the hellhound <laughs> yeah exactly yeah oh. um i also this is a great monster because i got to pull out the monster manual oh, uh yeah. core rule book uh, version 3.5 to those who might have any monster manuals at home we're going D, &D. Um, so in this description of the hellhound I always think it's a little bit different which is interesting um, they say hellhounds are aggressive fire breathing canines from the plane of Acheron specimens are frequently brought to the material plane to serve evil beings and many have established um uh, breeding populations uh so the typical hellhound stands four and a half feet high at the shoulders weighs 120 pounds uh in this one's hellhounds do not speak but understand infernal so i guess if you have some sort of infernal connection hellish connection you can communicate with them um but essentially these are the big powerfully built dogs with short rust red fur um uh, and then teeth and tongue are sooty black and it has red glowing eyes. So they go for the red eyes here. Um, they're efficient hunt hunters. They surround their prey. Um, they attack with even just one or two people and sometimes breathe fire on them. Um, yeah, they're relentless is a big thing as well. Um, yeah, I like the kind of distinction of size too. Four and a half feet tall is 
pretty tall for a dog. It's pretty big for a doggo. <laughs> yeah. Um, sweet. Let's get into video games. I feel like there's a danger for us to go pop culture crazy, if I may. Indeed. Okay. There's uh, Hades, which I think I was going to say is a... It's, it's the game that we brought up before that is mythological where you're trying to get out of the underworld and you got to fight all these people and keep dying going back to the beginning. Uh, Cerberus is a cute, almost family dog that you keep going when you revisit the beginning and you can go over and pet him and he's very sweet. Um, in contrast to that, if you're looking for a dangerous uh, version of Cerberus, um, I knew it first, as I mentioned in the last podcast, we're talking about Kingdom Hearts. It's weird that it's come back again. In the very first Kingdom Hearts, you go to um, Mount Olympus and you're fighting in the Colosseum and you have to fight a version of Cerberus. And that version of Cerberus is originally from, I think, Final Fantasy VIII is where the design is shared with because uh, they borrow all their monsters from Final Fantasy, or a great chunk of them. Um, but it is a really fearsome, great uh, kind of three-headed boss. Um, it is a black and red um uh cerberus kind of boss monster and is very much aligned with fire um and uh yeah it works out really well there um and uh madrin guess what there's a pokemon there's a pokemon there's always oh. going to be a pokemon no, that can't I'm be so too relieved. surprising i know you thought you were going to go whole episode with the pokemon um no, i'm i'm so relieved <laughs> that there's a pokemon now there is a houndour and houndoom which are very uh, much based off a hellhound. They're in a black and red, also um, uh, very much attached to fire. Um, they have skulls. Like I think Hound Doer has a little skull on its head that it wears. And then Hound Doom has almost like a little skull necklace. But they are both very much straight up hellhounds um, that you would not want to interact with. And they're uh, one of the earliest Pokemon. So I always love the early Pokemon designs because I think they're just OG. more straight up. Some OG. Some OG Pokemans. Um, yeah. All right. What? What? Uh, hit me with what you got. I got a couple pieces of music and then I think we should probably get to our guest. But Yeah. Well, I found just one piece of music. I thought it was actually pretty encompassing of what it was. Uh, uh, you know, everything that we've talked about so far mm -hmm. is um, in 1937, a uh, blues man named Robert Johnson came out with a song. Oh, called that's one Hellhound of mine. on my trail. Yeah. yeah. There's a version um, with Eric Clapton too. Oh, is there? All right. Well, I mean, what I thought was really interesting about this, like with it, given the historical context of blues is mm -hmm. that most uh, blues songs at the time had the very familiar theme of this rambling mus musician who was always traveling. And most of the songs were about how, uh, you know, they always had to be on the road, but they missed going back home. But this one takes it goes into a much darker level because the traveler is being pursued. Mm -hmm. You know, there are so many the the lyrics are about how there's a hellhound on my trail. I got to keep moving. Mm -hmm. uh, blues falling down like hail. And so I thought it was just it it was really interesting that he took the common trope of his genre and spun it around so that it's like i'm not on the road because i i want to be all the time it's that i'm being relentlessly pursued mm -hmm. i thought that that was really interesting yeah there's one other piece of music that um uh, i think maybe like me other people are like oh nice this is gonna work uh black dog led zeppelin now ah, yeah. has nothing to do with the black dog at all and i was like okay yeah. so then what happened here how did this occur um the title doesn't appear in the lyrics and has nothing to do with the song itself 
the band worked uh, um, on the song at a mansion in Hampshire um, that is out in the country, surrounded by the woods, and a nameless black Labrador retriever would wander the grounds and the band would feed it while they were recording. And then when they finally needed a name for the track, uh, they didn't have one. They just went with Black Dog, which is like, Why hey, not? you know what? Maybe there was some sort of spiritual association. It's funny sometimes with music, right? It's not in the lyrics, but uh, I don't know. I kind of feel it. It feels a little Black Doggy to me, so I'm, I'm cool with it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's quite a bit of pop culture. Uh, last call for pop culture, Madrin, or are we all full? Did we have a good pop culture meal? No, I'm I'm feeling very satisfied by my pop culture. I can't wait to talk to our guests. This is going to be so much fun. I know. I know. I I'm pretty sure that our guest is good to go. Um, it's a little bit hard because you know we often set up the camera, and I have just seen some kind of uh, red red eyes moving around. It's just been I a think, lot of black shadowiness. Yeah, a lot of black part. shadow. Yeah. So maybe they have to appear for us, or maybe they're just getting a little cagey. But we're gonna sort that out in the break, and when we get back, we are gonna be joined by the one, the only Cerberus. All right, Madrin, I believe uh, Cerberus is here with us. I'm seeing red eyes coming a little bit closer. And uh, yeah, okay. Uh, oh, hi. Hey, Cerberus? Uh, sorry, it's <laughs> a lot of people confuse it as Cerberus. It's actually uh, three names for oh. each of us here. Okay. <laughs> I myself am uh, Sir and uh, um, come on, Burr. Uh, I'm uh, Burr. Burr? Okay, Burr. And. Uh, you call can call me like us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, us. 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 Oh, okay. Okay. So each each head has a different name. So one of you is Sir, one of you is Burr, and one of you is us. Yeah. Uh-huh. Each and each head oh, has a different name. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, do you two have the same name? Because you got two different heads. No. I. That is a fair point. I uh-huh. see your point. But yeah. we also Burr, we don't Burr have can... the same body. We have different bodies entirely. Yeah. Bert, that is a valid point. I do do not be. These are our guests. If we can just be a little bit nicer, just oh. sorry. You have to. I'm sorry. I do apologize on behalf of my other head here. He just gets a little self conscious about being triple headed, whereas I am totally okay with it. Uh huh. Oh wow. Well, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that you would have disagreements. And uh, honestly, um, you seem very well adjusted for someone who has to share a body uh, with with two other people at all times. It seems like it might get a little um, claustrophobic for me. Yeah, yeah. no, no. I, I yeah, I gotta say it was it was a little rough for uh, Sir and Burr and I. But uh, it takes a while, you know, a couple couple centuries, decade, millennia, hanging out in Hades. Uh, things get a little chill, but you know, we, we work through it. We work through mm-hmm. it, you know. Is there any scenario now, we don't have to get too graphic here, where you just wish sometimes that you didn't have to share this, uh, you know, with two other people? I imagine, for example, dating might be difficult if you know you I'm share even imagining just heads. a great, I'm imagining just a great snack. Yeah. Like if you've got, you want it, you know, you want that, that personal pizza just for you. No, whatever. I, I mean, if I want something, I just eat it. I just, oh, and grab it out. Hey, what do you think, sir? Yeah, it'd be nice because sometimes um, Burr bites all the food and uh-huh. I want to have a taste. Although, got to say, advantage is that even though I might not get to taste the food, we all share the same stomach. So I'm always full. Ah, uh, I see. All so right. this really is the taste. So, so, sir, but you, you're you okay miss out that, on the, but, uh... the gratification of the flavor. Yeah. 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 
And sir, it seems like maybe you missed out on the gratification more than uh, us does. Uh, you know, uh, to each his own. You know what I'm saying, right? Like, <laughs> well, you just... would say that us because you get to eat it. That's it. I mean, you know, Burr wants to eat some. It's it's okay. I mean, the thing is that uh, Burr. <laughs> He sometimes doesn't like a couple of things. He has a bit of like, I guess what's called oral allergies. So I get oh. to have a couple of those things. Shut up. Shut up. Yeah. Wait, you're yeah. saying some of the heads have allergies and some of them do not? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Come on, Bernie. It's all right. We, we, we're comfortable. You're comfortable with it. Has yeah. has any of the heads accidentally eating something they're allergic to and then you all have to suffer the consequences? Yes. Oh, remember? Yeah, it seems Burr? like you remember I, the, the mango? I mean, I told you about the mango. Shut up. <laughs> Fine. All right. I just, it's usually so sweet. And I try to have it. And it just, I, I got all rashy. And, and and then, of course, I had to, like, scratch myself. And I even asked my, my other heads if they could, you know, bite the scratches. But would they? No. You know, uh. I don't want it. I do not want to lick you. That feels kind of gross. Yeah. It seems like, can, yeah, can that you could get kind of gross. feel would you be able to feel that? Like if you were to lick one of the other, are you, do you feel what the other heads are feeling or does the huh. sharedness start kind of in the neck? Oh no. No, we feel everything we're feeling. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> that's why we don't really have to date that much. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm saying. Uh, I guess. Well, I guess only one of you has to date, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And does it seem like only one of you tends to date? Uh, you know, I gotta say it's a, uh, it's usually kind of my, me who does it although i gotta say there's this advantages disadvantages you know uh there's a lot of usually souls around you hanging out in hades mm -hmm. but uh most of them are kind of you know intangible mm -hmm. so we don't really get to to touch them that much so it's usually a lot of looking uh, a lot of sniffing you know what i'm saying uh, -huh. uh but yeah 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 it works out it works mm -hmm. out mm -hmm. you know uh, I mean, look, when you're like the god of Hades, you got lots of souls making up at you. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? That's true. I guess, yeah, you're really uh, very close to the number one down there. So that could have its advantages. I think certainly a lot of people would, uh, you know, want to get to know you and uh, figure out uh, what makes you tick. Um, speaking of it, just getting to know you a little bit. I, I, we we on the earlier on the uh, the episode, we were just talking about some different types of hellhounds. You know, and, and I'm wondering if maybe you could just tell us just a, a little bit of that. Um, we, we found that there's generally three different types of hellhounds. So maybe this is nonsense, but maybe there's some truth to it. That hellhounds tend to be either hunters, guardians, or portents of doom. Does that does that make any sense to you? Do you feel like you belong in any of those categories? Oh, I mean, for us, I mean, it's really just the guardians. That's us. What we do is we, we guard a lot. Um, mm -hmm. As for the other two, I, I don't know, Burr, what do you think? The other two are losers. Hortons. <laughs> Hunters. Bleh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. You know what? Everyone has their place. But I think I think what Burr's trying to say is that guardians are a very special type of, uh, you know, hellhounds. And maybe we just think that they're just a little bit more special than the other two. Right? Right, Burr? Yeah. They're dorks. <laughs> well, I mean, tell us how you really feel. The dorks. I just oh, said okay. that. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Just want to make sure. Oh, well, um, oh. Now, y you do seem to have, you know, very different personalities, uh, Sir Burr and us. Uh, I, I did also find some evidence that sometimes the different heads um, have almost different different meanings or 
or different uh, values, you know, a lot of good things come in threes. Would you maybe just tell the listeners maybe what sets you guys apart? Well, I mean, first of all, for me, I, I think that we all kind of adapt and try to figure out what sort of positions we can have. I, I think myself, you know, being the guardian, I'm, I'm kind of the scout. I'm the one kind of looking out and that requires some patience and vigilance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, me, uh, I'm the one who kind of like judges, you know, maybe some souls coming on in. Maybe they made a mistake, you know, maybe, maybe they're trying to get out and, and you know, that, that ain't going to fly. Right. Uh-huh. And so that's kind of me. I'm kind of the, the judge, you know, uh-huh. yeah. and I'm the executioner. Oh, OK. Ooh. Well, somebody's got to draw the line, I guess. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So uh, you guys have to seem to have varying degrees of mercy as well. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, it's uh, sometimes Burr goes a little bit overboard. So it requires uh, sometimes that me and us have to pull with our mouths out the soul that maybe Burr has decided to, uh, y- you know, eat a little bit too early. Right, Burr? Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they're dorks too, but whatever. Let them let go. Huh. So you pull the soul out with your mouth? Yes. What see, what happens is that the soul will be floating around and maybe comes a little bit too close and uh-huh. uh, Burr tries to bite it and then we tell him, come on, let go. And then he doesn't. And so we just have to, you know, all kind of bite it ourselves and trying to huh. pull it out. And it's not the most enjoyable experience. We we try to bite a little softly, but what, sometimes... What happens yeah. if it, the soul gets stuck half in, half out? Like, does it ever get caught in the gristle or... Yeah. souls have their own <laughs> way. You know what we call that? An extra meal. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Let's not get you too excited here. Um, so what uh, What do you do with the souls once you take them from a person's body? Like, do you eat them or do they go somewhere? To Like, does Hades take care of them? What happens there? Oh, well, the, 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 the souls themselves, they're already there, you know, as they die. They go off and become their soulless selves. They kind of just hang around the Greek underworld or or as we like to call it, Hades, you know, mm-hmm. like my master. Sure. Mm-hmm. And really, they're just kind of hovering around. And only when they come too close to the border between Hades and the rest of the world, well, that's when we come in to say, hey, hey, you know what? Just take, you could just take a little bit of a step back. That would be kind of OK. And mm-hmm. sometimes they're good with it. And uh, sometimes they ain't so good with it. Yeah. So are you currently joining us from the underworld? It seems like a, oh, it seemed a little dark down yeah. there. No, okay. just just chilling out here, just hanging out here. Okay. You know, over with the, uh, just chilling by uh, River Lethe, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit tough. You don't want to, mm-hmm. like, you know, accidentally fall in and be like, yo, where am I? What, what happened to me? You that can be really bad. Did they, oh. let you, did, they, did they let you take the boat back and forth? Have you ever gone out to the world of the living? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't like going off to the land of the living. You know, there was one time where, where I ended up coming up. It just, the thing is, you know what I'm saying? I, you all got to get prepared. You know, it is cold down here. It is dark. The the upper world ugh, just it requires a lot of preparation. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. Well, what? Well, well it seems something? like maybe Sir uh, would be good for the preparation for going up, uh, being a bit of a scout. Like, seems like maybe you would prepare well for the surface. Uh, okay. Yes. All right. Fine. I made a mistake. All right. Is that what you're trying to say? Look, oh, there was no, one time. No, I mean, so one time. Like... No, no. Some, let's, just, let's just get it out. One <laughs> okay, time good. Hercules decided to bring me out. Right. Uh-huh. And of course, I came a little bit too fast and, and I did not prepare the sun stand and the sunscreen lotion. It is very hot out there. And so uh-huh. we went out a little bit too early. And, and then we just, we just, we made a little bit. We barfed. 
We like barfed oh, all no. over, like bile oh. everywhere. All right, sir. Can you just, it was your fault. You're the one who should have prepared and got the sunscreen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Okay. We, we did. All right. So it was. Did you, do you pack any water? You just want to rub it in, don't you? No, I mean, that just want to rub it in. I'm by a river of fire. That is okay. where I was hanging out. All right. How much yeah. water are you going to get in a river of fire? I mean, probably not That's enough. A fair point. Yeah. It's just, it's just it's so rough. Oh, man. Lil Will, what did you do? I'm Will, sorry. You just... Look, I take oh. my, my journalistic integrity very seriously. You know, I really just want to get to the bottom of things no, at, at it's all, all costs. It was a rough time. It was a rough uh-huh. time for, uh, for for Sir Berber, us. It was, it was, it was, now, it was vomit I, everywhere. I don't mean to overcomplicate this because for our listeners, uh, I think you're, you know, you're piecing things together here, following everything. But now many hellhounds also have a series of snakes on their head. And it seems like I can't quite tell if there's any little faces on there or anything, but you do seem to have an interesting kind of mane. Could you tell us a little bit about that that mane uh, that you got there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you see here, just uh, there's there's a there's a nice little you know slithery sort of mane we have going on here. Uh-huh. Uh, sometimes you see it. Look, the thing is that we have what's called a snake tail. You know, okay, you got the tail. Snake. Of course, and it's a little bit longer. So sometimes, you know, what you're gonna do with an extra tail? You just wrap it around your 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 neck, you know. So that's what you're seeing. Like is a it, scarf? Is it? Yeah, I see. that's right. I, I was thinking, scarf. you know, you got three different people in that body. If you yeah. had, you know, nine or eight snakes, and all of those snakes had distinct personalities. All right. What, well, I, what I, a I, life I, that would be. Uh, okay, and we got to say, look, here's the thing: is that there's a lot of myths been going around, and look, look, we all grow up. I gotta say, my adolescence was a little tricky. So we had a couple of snakes, but you you molt them a couple, you molt okay. them a couple, oh. and now we just have one. So we yeah, we did have a lot. Ooh, ooh, I'm gonna tell you, growing up, it was tough to date going through my growing pains. That's a lot of snakes. Yeah, you molt them, you molt some of them snakes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That sounds like an interesting piece of puberty that I had not considered uh, molting yeah. the many snakes. And now mm-hmm. you just got uh, the one, which is the tail, yeah. <laughs> to be specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The t- tail's kind of nice. Although, you know, it's you won't be hearing that much from from uh, our snake tail because, well, you know, uh, well, sir. Um, yeah, the thing is, uh, uh, our anatomy is, is a little different. So our snake is... Um, well, uh, the thing is, um, oh, we don't have a poop hole. We don't have a poop hole. So, uh, oh, it, uh, I see. It kind of goes. He's got Through the, the worst, snake. worst breath okay, in the that's... whole world, like halitosis. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, we did hear yeah. that that hellhounds have a particular type of sulfury smell, and so I think I may understand where that's coming from now. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> now, oh. I, you you are the most famous of the hellhounds up here on Earth, and to my recollection, you are the only multi-headed hellhound that we know of. But Will and I were talking about several different kinds of hellhounds that have been reported throughout yeah, the, the years I, yeah yeah the dorks one go go ahead well i guess that that was going to be my question is that like are are you the only hellhound of your kind are there other kinds of hellhounds or are these other hellhounds just made up oh oh no no they're real 
They're oh. just not simply as cool as all the books. There's some surface dorks. There's some surface dorks, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. And, okay. And look, I like we said, everyone is special in their own way. I mean, but I do have to say, not all hellhounds happen to have two half snake parents. I mean, that oh. does make me just a little bit special compared That's to true. you know the other ones, the 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 Norse one with okay, fine, or the ones hanging out in in Japan, which are really they're very lovely. They all have their equal attributes, mm-hmm. but. Some of us are just a little special. You ever met Fenrir? Fenrir seems, if nothing else, very large. Uh, Seems to be a massive, massive hellhound. Yeah. No, no, you're all right. I mean, you know, whatever. I just, he's always going on like, oh, hey, look, look what I can touch. I can touch the sky. I can touch uh-huh. the ground all at the same time. And I'm like, uh-huh. that. that's right. That's right. It'd be nice if you uh, you clean some of those teeth, you know, but whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, teach their own. Teach I guess own. that party trick kind of runs short. If that's mm-hmm. all you got, you know? I mean, you know, like, I mean, you can do that. But, you know, sometimes after a while, we live for eternity. Themselves being like, oh, this one again this joke again all right fair you know uh this might seem like a bit of a turn in the conversation but uh, i think it might get at something important do you like music do you enjoy music absolutely we like music (laughs) it's it's well it it does you know i have to say that it is something that makes us all very happy and sometimes oh kind of makes me a little bit go to sleep right for oh music is like the best oh yeah uh, do you, you have, have any... a favorite a favorite genre or or a favorite band or song anything? Well, yeah, Metallica. It's always Metallica. Oh. No, oh. no, it's, it's okay. Sometimes I personally like uh, Taylor Swift. Um, Antihero I find is really lovely. That new album. Did did you? That is my new release? favorite Taylor song. Oh yeah, my! It is like um. Did, wait, did you see the album? And then of course the extra remix that came out like at three a.m. the next day. I did not. I must confess, I'm not actually much of a Taylor Swift. Yeah. Oh, imagine wow. you gotta get your Swifty going, you know. I, I gotta is... say, you gotta get your Swifty. I have okay. to say, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. um, myself, you know, I got a an eye for the classics, you know. Um, uh, there's something uh, we used to like to call uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, you know, Pete the Magic Dragon. Uh huh. You know? Yeah, uh-huh. kind of like you know, I like listening to those. Bit of uh-huh. a, a Happy Birthday. Uh, ring around the posy, you know the okay. classics. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Okay. You know what I'm saying? Oh okay. yeah. yeah. So you like classics. you like songs with a message. Uh, yeah. you're, you're a very message driven. Oh, uh, it's kind of all guy. about the meaning. How how do you feel about uh, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star? Oh, you are just singing. I could just fall asleep right here. <laughs> oh well, don't imagine. Don't sing. We don't. Wanna, I won't sing it. No, don't. We we want to interview. You know. Speaking of which, um, I think Evie helped uh, set up that equipment there. Uh. She did a great job. Uh, I'm just, just, I haven't seen her in the dark. Sorry. I mean, it's oh. kind of dark in there, but I was um, wondering. It just, <laughs> Evie, yeah, she, she, she was really, really uh, keen. She, uh-huh. she set up really thing else. Um, she just, it just, she doesn't have the best spatial awareness. So oh. she kind of, she kind of, there was a, she kind of tripped into a, into one of the rivers, which not, not, ah. not, it wouldn't usually be a big deal. It's just. um. Was it a river of fire? Yeah, or... the river of fire. She, she, it was. She was crispy. It was. It was crispy. So you're saying the lava is lava. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and you know, we, it, look, she was just. It was. It was a rough time for her. She. She yeah. didn't really enjoy it. Okay. And at the same time, look, it was kind Would of. Would you painful. say it was? A, was it a? Yeah. So it's painful, not a quick death. No, but and so look, we just did her mercy, and I gotta say, 
it's nothing quite like well done you know what i'm saying yeah i <laughs> guess yeah I guess so uh i like too enjoy i well i enjoy barbecue as i was well. wondering where you're going with that matching you do you too enjoy the taste of charred human flesh well uh, yeah. well i wouldn't say charred human flesh no yeah but but flesh yeah you know yeah animals oh. We, yeah. Look, we have extras. If you, I, I can, I can send it back with the equipment. Uh, uh, no, you know what? Okay. I think, I think Thanks. that's a direction that we shouldn't go down. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All we're, right. We, you what know, a... we're we're adventurous, but we're not, you know, cannibal adventurous. I don't think uh, we we were not going to mm-hmm. hit that uh, yet. No. Yeah, I can save that for some for a later time. Uh, but anyway, uh, rest in peace, Evie. I really appreciate uh, how crystal clear this audio has been today, and you've done a great job. And uh, I'll tell your family uh, as much. Um, you know, when when uh, humans die, we tend to believe in, you know, some sort of religious, you know, afterworld. Or, and do you have any kind of connotation with, with religion or mythology? I mean, you're in the underworld, so I guess you know that exists. Well, yeah, it, it's, it can be uh, really, look, the thing is, I think that no matter what you do, I, look, the way that the Greek uh, underworld works in Hades is really, you know, whatever you die in, that's it. So oh. um, if you be all blood splattered and you end up having a very violent death, uh, you kind of got to live that over and over again. Oh, nice no. That's so kind of like, yeah. are you telling me that Evie is going to be perpetually living out the painful nightmare of dying in a river of fire okay that's it's kind of yeah perhaps but you know there's 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 positives that she there was you know uh oh burr help me out here uh she died in her stomach so she'd be i guess like face down in the fire that's so much worse no she no we we ate her she was kind of still alive so she she died in our stomach so it's like a it was like a nice hug so, she got a hug. So she got she, a hug from our she body. Died, she died being eaten by Cerberus. Yeah. Rather yeah. than in the fire. Yeah. I mean, so, the fire is just before that. That's it. Is that so, better, Madrid? Well, you have to admit, that's kind of metal. That's oh, kind of metal. That's pretty so, rad. Pretty so cool. gnarly. <laughs> Put that on a tombstone. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty That's pretty cool. Yeah, immortalized as the ultimate uh, badass, I suppose. Let's, let's remember Evie that way. So um, yeah, I think it's just like, yeah, so as uh, you know, we'll come back to your point is just uh, you die and you are who you were. So just mm-hmm. make sure that who you were was not too terrible. Mm-hmm. And that way, that way you just, you know, you just chill out and live your best life or afterlife is what uh-huh. we all say here, you know, building. Yeah. Living your best afterlife. That sounds good. Um, Okay. I'm just going to get right to it. Do you ever dip a drunk? Cause like we heard some stories about some some hellhounds getting out there and dipping drunks in the night, and I gotta say that sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah. It, okay. Okay. Know, yeah. I yeah. Mean, tell look, me about it. <laughs> could have been. A, I I'd say it's kind of like you know going back to about teen years. You know, uh-huh. a couple of uh, back when you ran- got all those snakes on your head. Yeah, you know, back when you had more of... more hair. <laughs> more hair. You know, things were a little bit more randy. You know what I'm saying? So uh, uh-huh. we did dip a couple of drunks. Uh, they was kind of fun. They they kind of dipped and and then they they dipped and and sometimes they broke. But uh, you oh. know, whatever. The uh, you know, it just look. Sometimes we got some extra spaces in Hades, and so we just gotta fill them up. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, do you have a quota? Uh, well, I mean, 
uh, Hades uh, has a quota. Oh, we're just the ones who enforce it. We just don't want to let anyone go out. So we're kind of the 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 stoppage. You know, we have to like let huh. people in and out. You just call us. You know, the the underworld. We are the sphincter of the the Greek underworld. I see. <laughs> You, I, you know, I'm not going to specify what makes a good or bad version of that, but I will say when people have escaped from your proverbial sphincter, uh, did you get in trouble? <laughs> yes, we, we did. Uh, uh, you know, Hades can have a bit of a temper, um, but fortunately, uh, his uh, you know, better half, Persephone, is able to, you know, keep things a little bit calmer. But yeah, we, we've got maybe a couple of sandals uh, coming out of our face. Oh. Uh, yeah, a couple of bones. It's, it can be not nice. So oh, we, A bit we of a whiplash gotta... situation. You know, yeah, you get a sandal yeah. thrown past your head. Oh, well, thankfully, Persephone is, you know, is like, she's good. She, oh. she, she's I mean, you know, she's she's kind of a babe like that, you know? Oh. Oh, my. You know what? She is a nice human being. You do not have to describe her in physical characteristics. She she has, Persephone has a great personality. Yes, she's also very conventionally attractive. But, oh, Bert, you're just making us look terrible. Mm-hmm. Well, you, no one's, you know, you're looking terrible because our listeners are just hearing you. But it might be, you know, never mind. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, you don't sound terrible either. Um, so unless you, you unless you, you want to sound terrible, in which case you sound very fearsome. Uh, yes, to be clear. Good. Do you um do you get any downtime? Do you get any time off from being the the protector of the realm of Hades? Uh yeah, I mean we do get a couple. It is a hectic job. Lots of souls feel like they want to come on out. You know, as we gotta say, as things go on, people keep dying and dying and dying. So you know, the underworld gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But, but there's sometimes you can chill. You know, sometimes uh you know Sharon gets a little bit of break and so maybe he'll throw me a couple of souls i'll go grab him i'll bring him on back sometimes he'll bring me in his little arc we just hang around on the river sticks you know oh. so that's that's kind of what we doing you know so you like I'll, a little a, like like a nice boat ride yeah boat ride boat ride and soul fetch that's that's nice. kind of the best are you for us. are you immune to fire because i've seen some hellhounds seem to have a, a, a strength against fire or they seem to be able to breathe fire um yeah, I mean, for us, it's more just like it just gives us a nice warm glow. You know what we're oh, talking about, right? Okay. You know, it just adds a little bit of suntan. I guess when people call it suntan, we'd call it a bit of like a fire tan. Yeah, I love that for some reason. And I mean, maybe you know the answer to this and I do not. But it seems interesting to me that when you visit the surface, uh, you burn and, and you get too much sun and it causes you to vomit. But in the underworld, you can get all sorts of fire and it gives you that nice... Uh, you know, luminous glow. Is that just direct sunlight? This is no good for you or is there something special about the underworld? I mean, look, it's just kind of a heat, right? It's the heat of of desire and and Mm. dreams and all that kind of burning on up. That's the thing. It's a different type of fire, really. Different type of heat. You know what I'm saying? You know, I hear people talk about you go to like different parts of Canada. It's like, it's a dry heat. It's a Uh something heat. This uh-huh. is a this is a burning physiological psychological burning. <laughs> oh, that's what it's it a means. psychological burn. Yeah. When you you know when you get imagine you know you get different uh, burns as a human. You know, first degree, sure. second degree, third degree is real bad. You got to go. But I have never thought about the uh, psychological the psychological scalding burn. burn. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's uh, you got to get that checked out a little bit differently. Um, wow. Well, um, I believe that we may be getting uh, close to our creature coffee break, Madrin. You know, I, I mean, you might have some more questions that pop up, but this is a, a segment on the show 
um, uh, sir, burr, us, uh, where we um, pitch them things that uh, might have some meaning to us. Maybe uh, we were attracted to a certain performer. Uh, maybe it's a piece of art we like. Maybe it's a local business. And we just give them a little shout out uh, for all of our listeners at home. Um, sir, burr, us. Do oh. you have any uh thing that you'd like to pitch? Uh, well, oh, geez, I uh, this uh, something I was kind of uh I wasn't really prepared. Uh, you know what? There was a soul that came to us, and he was pleading. You know, he talked about how he he really missed the overworld. He loved this great little uh cafe. He talked about it was called oh. uh, uh Russell and Still. Uh, okay. He think he said it was uh like Bathurst and Bloor. Okay. Um. Sorry. What was it, Bert? Oh, he went on about like it was like Vietnamese food. It was like so good. Oh. I mean, it actually made me want to like you know run him there, but no, we had to of course eat him up and spit him back out. Sorry, uh-huh. <laughs> we're the ones eating now, not you, soul. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I think Russell still. Um, uh, his name was uh, you know, his name was uh Richard Young. Oh. Um. Yeah, he said it was like a actor and a screenwriter. Uh, uh-huh. He said he he's writing something that um this uh you know it was called a uh, preschool show called Dino Ranch. You oh. know, I think monsters of a different type. You know, dinosaurs and stuff. Dinosaurs, yeah. yeah. He said it was on. I love uh, dinosaurs. Yeah, I love dinosaurs. Yeah. He said it's on uh, Disney Disney Plus for for all of them uh, under the Americans, and uh, I think for Canada. The the CBC gem and for oh. the rest of the world I I don't know sorry sorry he he was trying to tell us where where it was airing but then of course we had to eat him so that's oh. all we really got sure well but hey you got the important information in there you know what Richard died knowing that you received the information and you were gonna bring it to the podcast so you've at least completed that uh, act of promotion and uh, that work will be forever immortalized. Uh, and, and I think and that you. makes it a happy ending for everyone, everyone involved. Yeah, yeah. Except yeah, for anyone that may have been ex- expecting another season. But, you know, <laughs> maybe they can do. Do you think, okay, here's here's a question that I have. So Richard, right? Richard's now down there. He's one mm-hmm. of the souls. Yeah. Can, can you be productive as a soul? Like, could you get some writing done? Like, could, hypothetically, Richard write another season of the show, give it to you, you sneak on up to the underworld. You don't let anyone out of, you know, your sphincter, but you know, you sneak on up. You could dip a couple drunks and drop off the information for season another season of the show. Is that possible? Or well, did the spirits lose that that ability? Well, no, they they do. And I think sometimes, you know, what I've heard from the other souls who are writers is that sometimes writing can be feel like some sort of hellish underscape uh-huh. uh, when you're I, doing that's it. Very so true. <laughs> that would be something that that could person could do, and that could be kind of a punishment. Uh, but then also, you know, of course, when they start to enjoy it, that's when we take it from them and send them back up. Again. I see. I see. So, you know, maybe the writing would be too hellishly productive to to occur down there. Perhaps. So we 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 probably would have to monitor it. Oh okay. yeah. I'm I love monitoring that. <laughs> All right. Well, good to know. Uh, imagine, do you have anything that you'd like to uh, shout out on our creepy coffee break? Yes. Uh, there is a play going on right now at Crow's Theater called 15 Dogs. I think it's very appropriate to uh, our, our guest today. Um, I saw it this past Wednesday. It's fantastic. Very physical show. Uh, all of these different humans playing several different 
breeds of dog throughout the run of the show. The whole thing is done in the round. So there is no bad seat in the house. Hmm. So certainly don't think that like, oh, you know, I can't sit here. You know, it's fantastic. Um, They have extended their run to February 12th. Mm-hmm. But I do know that tickets are getting to be few and far between. So I would really highly recommend you go and see this show. Um, at, uh, you know, And also it it ties right in with our guest today as well, too. Is Wait, that, Madrin, uh, the, these 15 dogs, do they all have the same body? Yeah, that's what don't. I was wondering. No, oh, they are okay. all 15 <laughs> okay, individual sure. dogs. <gasps> yeah. uh, 15 uh, just, heads on one dog. Uh, that would just be like too much. I'm, well, okay. Did, <laughs> Do any of them have three heads, Madrin? None of them do. No, no. Oh, but what about what does. about what about That's two so heads? Great. Nope, nope. Just one head per dog. Oh great. wow! So so, so I, we're just Cerebus is like the only three-headed dog. As far as I know, the three of you are the only three-headed dog. All right. Now, the, I, do they, then I want to yeah. go see this play. Yeah. Do they have any great. accommodation yeah. in the theater for um, three-headed dogs? Like, would there be a seating space there? Maybe. Well, you know, where where I sat was in the back row of just a row of two. Okay. So that would probably be a good seat for for you, you three, Sir Burr and us. Uh, so, you know, you wouldn't be blocking anybody's view. Oh, I don't think Sir Burr and us was wondering about that. I just want to make sure they're nice and comfortable. I guess oh, you could I mean, always we... eat anyone in the way. Sure. Yeah. Now, are you able to tone down your scariness? Because I would imagine it might be, they might be a little bit pressured performing for you. Number one, you are the most famous dog in the world and they are portraying dogs. So they want to make sure that's authentic. And secondly, uh, you are very scary to look at, which I mean in the best of ways. Yeah, I mean, look, I understand the way I come across, but, you know, I have to say I'm very a health conscious dog. So I, we all be wearing masks and I find oh. masks kind of cover up, of oh. course, all the things happening. Oh. So like like spooky know. Halloween masks or like, uh, you know, no, in 95s? I, I think in 95s, it's a theater, right? Uh-huh. I mean, we don't want to put any more people back down, you know, into underground. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. the mask we all be wearing because mandatory. Just makes uh-huh. us all just a little less scary. So I think oh, it'll be that's all right. Nice. Yeah, it might hide some of the Much scary teeth, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, well, uh, what I'd like to pitch, and I, you know, I don't think it necessarily needs my pitch to get over its uh, launch hump because it seems to be doing pretty well. Uh, but there is a television show called The Last of Us, uh, which just started on HBO. It's an adaptation of a very uh, well-known game, well-loved game. Um, but I was especially excited for it because uh, it's being written by Craig Mazin, who I think is a very talented screenwriter. And when I found out, he, he also wrote Chernobyl, uh, which was very uh, popular and kind of like a nice, well, not nice in terms of pleasant, uh, but a w- very well-written uh, series. And when I realized it was him that was going to be writing uh, the adaptation of the game, I was just like, it's going to work. <laughs> you know, it's, it's sometimes you just know that, that a certain uh, fusion of style is going to play out. And uh, I watched the first two episodes, and I have to say, I'm really enjoying it. I think it's a fantastic yeah, video that, game adaptation. That, that sounds fantastic. What, what was the name of that series again? It's called The Last of Us. Uh, it is... Um, so, sorry, what was it again? The Last of Us. Us. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I yeah, like I, that name. Yeah, I like that yeah. name, yeah. Now, it's about a <laughs> uh, kind of apocalyptic world uh, uh-huh. in which uh, there is essentially this... Um, I don't know, fungus that can get into your body 
and uh, take over your mind. Uh, somewhat like a zombie contagion, but not quite because it's a fungus. <laughs> um, and so uh, you get this kind of dystopian world. But uh, yeah, there's this kind of crazy hive mind that can connect uh, those who have been infected from miles and miles away. And uh, it's very good so far. Yeah, so I, I recommend that. If you are listening to this and you would like to support us, uh, you can go to um, ko-fi.com slash monstrology. In fact, Madrin, uh, shout out to Aaron who donated this week and uh, warmed my heart by uh, giving Aww. us a couple uh, little coffee fives on the coffee platform. Shout out to you. Um, okay, yeah, I believe they said they were looking forward to hearing more uh, creepy monsters and fun. And uh, I hope that we delivered on that promise for you today. But thank you for supporting us. We really appreciate it. If you want to get a shout out on the show, just got to hit us up with one of those coffee fives goes towards things like Zoom and, um, you know, website website domain and the thing the little things that make us uh you know uh, a little less burdened uh but hey i enjoy making the podcast anyway but you can always just brighten my day with a little coffee five um wow what a fun coffee break i feel like it was informative and yet i also learned so much about uh you sir burr and uh some of the last of us um now we have arrived at, at the end, uh, sir, for us. Now, usually at the end of an episode, I like to ask our guests if they have any words of wisdom that they would like to share with our listeners. But as it occurs to me, as I say this, there are three of you. <laughs> so I'm wondering if each of you have a word of wisdom for our listeners or if you'd like to delegate one of you to be the, the truth teller uh for us surface dwellers and and dorks uh up, up here look i mean look I, I can start it off i just gotta say again the way you live your life is how you're gonna live your afterlife so mm. if you just make sure to live it right then it'll mm. be all right i don't know but what you gotta say <laughs> oh we got a tail that poops out like a snake that's pretty funny <laughs> Okay, fine. You know, just ignore him. And the last thing that we just want to say, uh, I would like to say on behalf of all of us is my words of wisdom is Madrin, please listen to a little bit more T Swift, okay? Okay. Yes. Yes. You know what? You you're not the first uh listener who's been a Swifty on the show. I I believe uh that one of the sirens was also quite a big fan of uh, Swifty when we interviewed yes, them. So, so Madrin, I, I hope this message is getting across. And you know what? I know it's it's being directed towards you, <laughs> but maybe I'll take a little you know, page out of this book and also uh give get some T Swift in my in my life. You know, I, I liked the the little bit of folklore that i heard i i liked mm -hmm. those songs so maybe i'll start there and work my way mm -hmm. back hey they're they're quite an earworm you know they get yeah. in there and they they tend to wriggle around very popular songs and uh you know our guest has uh not earworms but ear snakes that tend to to wriggle around so i guess uh there's there's some resonance there for sure um well thank you so much for joining us uh sir burr and us uh i hope that um you're kind uh, to richard down there and uh, i'm sure evie who is also now down there and um uh if you ever find i believe there's an intern named tigert who got lost down there <laughs> if um if you want to send him back up I, I don't know. It could have been bad. We've had a couple of people lost in the underworld. So if you have any interns that seem very lost and somewhat alive, 
just somewhat. Uh, if you just send them back up, I mean, we wouldn't mind getting at least one more pass out of them. Um, that would be nice. Sure, we'll yeah. keep our lookout for uh, Tiggert, right? Right, guys? Yes. Yeah. 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 And maybe we're hungry, maybe we're not. Who knows? Uh, okay. Well, well, I I've done my best, Madrin. I've checked in yeah, uh, no, as I, I said it. I would. Yeah. yeah you perfect. made your pitch. Yep. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for everyone for listening. Uh, this has been Monstrology. Until the next episode, I hope that you see as many or as few monsters as you would like. And uh, goodbye. Have a nice life. Monstrology is homegrown Canadian content, co-hosted by Will King and Madrin McCabe, edited and produced by Will King, and distributed on the Podbean platform. As a young hatchling podcast, it means a lot to us if you rate, review, and subscribe to Monstrology on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever your monsters are found. Mm-hmm.